Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today's episode is entitled, Do You Know Who or What is on Your Network? Now, you can call it context metadata or just data, but security teams need lots of it in order to be effective in their efforts to defend, investigate, or respond. So throughout that cycle. And so today we want to go into more than just usernames and IP addresses to understand the breadth of network data that is often overlooked or underutilized or simply unaccessible that we could otherwise use to improve our defenses or our ability to investigate and respond faster. So since we're going to be talking about the synergies between networking and security, um, I'm going to clarify that we're not going to be talking about SASE and zero trust networking, which all that hype is about how networking and security are coming together. Um, That's the cool way to talk about things today um, that combine networking and security. But we are going to be talking about the kinds of data that companies um, were wisely, wisely using in their security practices, even before those buzz terms even existed. So to help us here, we've invited a seasoned veteran of core network services, Bob Rose, currently the Senior Product Marketing Manager for Infoblox's DDI solutions, that's DNS, DHCP, and IPAM, the kind of stuff we're looking for, to help us explore these possibilities. So, hey, thanks for joining us, Bob. Hey, Bob, thank you so much. It's always great to uh, chat with you. Thanks for uh, inviting me to join Threat Talk. I appreciate it. We've done a number of webinars over the last few years, and so really glad to have you here. Now, for our security listeners like myself, I just, again, want to clarify that, you know, on top of all of our own industries, acronyms, which are hard sometimes to stay on top of, DDI, that's, you know, the the category of products that you're dealing with, that's DNS, DHCP, and IP address management, or IPAM. Um, So since you were the guy who helped me many years ago connect the dots between DDI information security, would you mind just giving our audience a summary of why DDI manager matters from a security perspective? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and we start with DDI because really, Bob, it's the foundation for an adaptive uh, security architecture. And, you know, many folks on the, the call today um, already know what DNS, DHCP, IPAM is. Uh, DNS domain name system is, of course, mapping website names to website IP addresses. And it really starts every specific conversation. Um, DHCP, of course, is really the foundation of network a- uh, access uh, because it gives IP addresses to a client device for broadcasting queries. And then, of course, IP address management, as you mentioned, uh, Bob, really um, is that thing that that plans and tracks and manages IP space um, and how it's used on the network. And really it becomes the authoritative source of all network connected assets. In fact, we call it um, authoritative IPAM here at Infoblox. So uh, those are really kind of the key foundations that we can use um, to help uh, manage our security posture. And there's so much um, that we can share about that. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. Yeah, on the on the threat investigation side, which you know is where I first really got into a lot of this, doing uh, in depth investigation or or incident response, DNS was just a goldmine. You know, there's so much you can tell because you're not. I mean, what was it? Twenty years ago, all IT and security teams had to do is say, "Yeah, we found it, and our endpoint AV cleaned it up, or we've reimaged machine, done, gone, moved on." But for the last few decades. That hasn't been enough. Those teams have had to come back, and that's where DNS information became one of my first resources. 
help me be able to say, well, that machine over the last couple of weeks has been doing a lot of communications to this type of of place. Um, you know, we can see what the machine's been doing. And notice I'm saying machine, not user, because it could have been while the user was away that the malware on the machine was going to places it shouldn't have, um, connecting to locations that we didn't identify. Um, and that's where, you know, controlling through DNS came in. But first, it was a matter of, we just need to know how this machine got infected in the first place. Um, and uh, and it went from there. So DNS has been there for a while. Um, but on the IPAM side, you know, um, you know, there's just so much more on, on this. So um, you've got a feature in your products called Discovery, which since I've gotten into IoT has really become interesting. You want to explain how Discovery in the on the IPAM side comes into play? Well, exactly. So, you know, full network visibility is really essential, uh, Bob, because and, and the more that we can automate that, um, especially the Discovery side into all you know, device IP addresses, users, um, services, not only present, but past as well, all data centers, um, as well as private public um, hybrid clouds, it's really important. And there's a number of use cases that are out there that really, I think, will help security teams in particular. If you look from a past perspective, you know, do you have instant access to what happened over time? For example, which IP address was in use a week ago or perhaps a month ago, or which users had DHCP leases? That's really important, especially for audit and compliance teams. If you bring things forward into the present, that's really important too, especially when you're considering app uptime, when you're considering threat protection, is there something going on in DDI that um, perhaps is impacting your app availability and performance? Um, what if an attack is happening right now? Can you actually see into your DNS and it, or perhaps into DHCP and see exactly what's happening there. And, and that's really important. And then of course, as you look forward to the future, what about security response and, mm -hmm. and planning? Is device vulnerable? Uh, is there a device that's vulnerable or compromised perhaps? Or um, is there some way that DNS is being used to steal your critical data? So these are all important things. And that's why authoritative IPAM um, is critical. It's something you want. In fact, it's something you need. Full discovery of network data, of Microsoft data, if you're running Microsoft platforms, um, and really pulling in all of those attributes from across the network, from across data centers, private, public, hybrid, cloud, all into an authoritative single source of truth database. And, and that's so important. You know, you're looking at IP addresses, MAC addresses, when did they appear? How are they associated on various subnets and VLANs? Uh, what are the device attributes? Those are super important. Um, what are the associated DNS records? You know, who's the user? Where's the user now? Where have they been? What have they interacted with? What's the DHCP status? These are all things that are really important. And you know the the network is dynamic, so things are being added. Um, you you need to sync networks and ranges. You're adding and syncing and and remediating IPs and DNS records. You're you're dropping and reporting on inactive networks and ranges. Uh, you're syncing. Mm -hmm. You're reporting IPs and DNS records, and syncing all of these together, especially uh, if you have conflicts with with switch ports and access points. All of this stuff goes together into that centralized uh, 
authoritative IPAM database. And that's absolutely critical, especially as discovery is concerned. Well, and, and a couple of points there, again, going back to my uh, first time that I really dug into networking stuff was when I was trying to answer really tough questions about an incident and having all that stuff in IPAM. I mean, <clears throat> right now, a lot of people look to like Active Directory, Microsoft, which would give me a lot of information about the user, what department they're in, things like that. But there's a, a lot more at the DNS, DHCP, and IP address management level that having it in one place means that I can get real quick to answering questions because when I would start investigations, I'd spend an hour or two just collecting things, pulling down logs from all sorts of different sources and then filtering through them. But with your IPAM solution, and you know, again, this isn't just yours, the IPAM by definition is going to provide a way to help you kind of filter through it, sort, you know, and, and get down to what you need rather quickly. And it's easy to do because everything's in that one place. So I take that with my DNS information um, and all of a sudden I can get a pretty good picture of what that machine has been doing on the network. Um, you know, and today's network to clarify, means anything in the cloud too. That's part of our network now, right? We are cloud oriented. And that even extends to when they are offsite. I mean, I, I wanna make sure our listeners are real clear on this. This network information, yeah, we may not have the VLAN subnet information uh, if they're not on our network, they're remote from home, but there's still information that we can collect and, and that we want visibility of. Um, even if you know it's just the DNS side, there's stuff that, if that device can share that information, it just gives us so much more visibility. But on IPAM specifically, I just got back from uh, Black Hat last week and I was really surprised because you know, you're our IPAM guru. I'm there for a security conference, Black Hat USA in Las Vegas. And the first day, I gotta tell you, over half the questions I got at the booth were people saying, yeah, um, we came to talk to you about your IPAM solution. I'm going, well, we're, Bob Rose, he's the guy you should be talking to. Um, and, and it's because of what you said earlier, um, it's now required pretty much. Matter of fact, uh, uh, we don't want to get into the whole NIST uh, thing that, that we can put off another day, but you know, there were some NIST requirements came out earlier this year that are mandatory for different federal government agencies, other associations and um, standard groups have been pushing for asset management and they're, pushing the bar that you've got to get control of your assets. And that I, I thought originally that was just for IOT because I would hear all those wonderful stories where people would say, yeah, we uh, brought in an IPAM solution and we did a little bit of discovery and we found all sorts of devices we didn't even know were on our network. Mm -hmm. But it's not just IOT um, and it's not just BYOD. There are so many ways that things get in on the network that they don't even know it's there. Yeah, you know, that that's exactly right. And, um, you know, especially from a security perspective, if you need to do forensic investigation, um, network data, it's already on your network. And it's it's outstanding to be able to get quick, easy access to that. But it's not only where can I find it, it's it's, you know, can I get immediate access to it so that I can look at my network and see what's going on and remediate perhaps any challenges that are happening in the moment. Um, one thing, Bob, that we use um, here at Infoblox is query logging, and um, that's for checking access and audit compliance. Uh, that's a really good use case in particular. You know, what 
what clients do you have um, that are querying a known domain like Facebook? And, and our network data that's available can tell you who queried what, what was queried by whom, and uh, you get that fast, easy visibility on who's doing what on your network. And that's the, you know, that's really the topic of, of today's podcast. Um, audit and compliance is another use case that's really important. What is a specific client queried? And DDI data actually gives you that on-demand insight for audit and compliance. And it's nice to have uh, that easily accessible record of which device requested which domains, especially over time. And it's a really good way that you can actually search large data sets and collect and parse and, and visualize your network data. And there's other use cases too, like if you need granular visibility, like for example, um, if you need to do some, some security forensics work, system X, whatever that is, is compromised last week. So what other systems did it communicate with? And that gives you a real advantage because you can go then beyond any of the summary data and easily identify botnets or infected you know, devices and quickly assess and remediate that impact. Um, yeah. So those are some really interesting ways to, to use this data from a security perspective. Well, and, and I recall, again, just, you know, knowing where a machine has been going, for example, like you use the Facebook, it's been querying Facebook, but hold it, that's our thermostat, you know, that's our key card reader system, which, you know, we have a third party, they have to remote access in to manage it and stuff. So it has internet connectivity. And all of a sudden we notice it's going to places that we don't understand why. And um, today um, I saw a couple articles where, you know, a lot of the, the the odd backend systems that we have on our networks that we don't think of routers and switches, those have vulnerabilities, those can be compromised, and they can be a conduit for information coming or going. Um, and that information could be stuff they're stealing, could be small packets of information. I mean, when they first attack your system, uh, your network, they want to get passwords and, 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 you know, credential information. And that's, you know, a small packet of information. Yeah, we can send that out through some back channel so that your DLP doesn't see it because it doesn't monitor that stuff. Your firewall doesn't see it because it's not designed to monitor that stuff. Your web gateway, well, it's not on HTTP. It's going out over DNS or some other protocol. There's so many ways that they can get this stuff coming and going. But regardless of you know, what channel they're doing the communication, DNS, they still have to do that lookup. That's why I really loved DNS. Even the bad guys, they can't avoid DNS. They have to go through it to get anywhere. So, you know, I look at ransomware where they have to, well, okay, you got the first infection and okay, that's going to be some sort of malicious download or an email link or an email attachment, things like that. But they still have to download encryption keys. They're going to try and steal data, which means they're going to go out and get some instructions from a C2 system. There's so many communications during the life of an attack that even if you were breached on a zero day, um, you know, within 24 hours, you start seeing something odd. By then, there's some indicators that you will be able to find this thing came in. And if you're lucky, and, and this is actually a good story for security people. If you can catch it within a day or two, that beats the average of over 200 days of infection time that a lot of people tend to report on these things. Uh, you know, the numbers vary from like anywhere from 121 to I saw one that still showed it being more than a year is the average attack. Um, eh, I take them all with a grain of salt. Bottom line is, is these things can stay there for months. And so having access to Again, I'm just using DNS because that's the one I always turn to first, but having access to all that information, 
um, including the IPAM stuff, which I will also then use along with Active Directory to understand you know, what type of device it is that's been involved. Have I seen any other devices doing the same kind of thing or something similar? Um, and all of a sudden, wow, I can identify that, yeah, we have 26 systems on our network that are involved in this attack. It helps me early on do my triage. But again, having that stuff all together, we didn't really talk much about the automation, but you talked about bringing all that data together. There's a lot of automation in these kinds of tools that, again, saves me that time of just gathering stuff, which I always hated because I never knew if I was wasting my time. I might download a bunch of logs, find out there's nothing in them. Then I go to the next set and download those logs. And ah, that's got what I wanted. But if you've automated this where I have most of my information in just one or two places, I can quickly do my triage. And at that point, I've got a very clear picture of, okay, this is not everything I need, but I still need one or two things. But now I know what those one or two things are, and I know specifically where to go, and I stop wasting time. There's so much time wasted on the security investigation and response side. And having this information at my fingertips eliminates all that waste. I just love it. Well, yeah. And one thing that you just mentioned is so true because, you know, we're sitting on a wealth of network data, right? I mean, it's outstanding how much data that we have. And in fact, you can use that for forensic investigation. Um, one of the things, of course, that's really helpful is if you have a reporting capability. Uh, some folks use Splunk, for example. Um, and, and, you know, if you can find DNS and you were talking about DNS, so DNS, NX domain or no error, um, type uh, updates, you can protect your infrastructure uh, because you might have a client that's infected with malware and it uses a domain generation algorithm and it generates such a large amount of um, NX domain activity that it fills up your cache and it reduces the performance, your server response times, uh, especially for legitimate queries. And that's a huge challenge. And so to have that capability where you can identify queries they're renamed or removed, and then servers perhaps that might be misconfigured to show DNS um, queries that are resulting or bringing up these errors um, certainly helps give you some immediate insights into how you can protect your your infrastructure. And there's many other use cases, Bob. Um, you know, tunneling activity is another thing that you want to be able to yep. pick up on um, because that's involving you know, your data and mitigating malware that might be trying to exfiltrate data. So you, you might have a security team that's actually looking um, for uh, a client that's exfiltrating data um, and, and you want to make sure to catch those guys as soon as possible. And so um, identifying clients that are most often performing DNS tunneling activities, um, especially for deeper investigation and taking action on those clients, the faster you do that, obviously, uh, the more helpful it is. And, um, you know, another one that we have that we see all the time, Bob, is, is our response policy zone. So if you can look at DNS in particular and see where your RPZs are getting the greatest hits, um, you want to identify all those clients that are hitting a, a known malicious domain or all malicious domains that are uh, impacted by an infected client. And those are really important because it also can shorten the amount of time then to identify malware impacts um, by tracking when those attempts are being made to reach those domains. And, um, you know, the bottom line here is that, look, if you can't see it, 
you can't manage it. So DDI is so important um, as really the foundational architecture to deliver contextually aware uh, information and remediation and you're sitting right on it. And, and so that's really, really important. Well, and, and I like that phrase, you know, if you can't see it, you can't manage it. On the security side, we have the, if you can't see it, you can't defend against it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, visibility is so key on both sides. And that's really what we're talking about here. You know, uh, again, going back to the title, do you know who or what is on your network? Um, the what could also be a threat. It's not just, you know, uh, what devices, it's also what activity, what what uh, malicious actors might be on your network acting. And you're going to see at this level, this is going to give you that visibility. Um, uh, you were talking about the re- response policy zones. I, I, for those uh, listening who aren't that familiar with it, because that tends to be more, you know, oh, that's DNS, but I'm already blocking it at the URL level. You know, I've got a web filter. Um, a lot of people I talk to, because I've been doing that for, well, I've been doing this for over 30 years. I've worked for three of the top five um, vendors of secure web gateways. And when people look at DNS security, say, well, it's just doing the same thing. But response policy zones actually go a layer, a layer lower. They also give a lot more clarity. They stop things earlier. The one thing I really liked about it was by blocking things. I mean, most threats, let's face it, everybody talks in the news about the zero days and the new things we haven't seen. But the fact is, the majority of threats out there, we've seen them. The IOCs, the indicators are in the databases. We've all got it. We're going to block them by signatures. Signatures are not dead. Every product still uses signatures because it's a quick, fast way to get rid of the majority of things that they're still around. I mean, you know, once something gets on the Internet, it never goes away. And that applies to malware, too. So by having things blocked at that level, well, that was done at the at the request level. So it never goes to the secure web gateway. So if I, you know, am in a traditional data center and I've got a rack of seven you know, uh, secure web gateways because of my, you know, I'm in a massive company. If I can start blocking things at the DNS layer, which is a quick, simple, you know, block the request. That's all it is. Instead of seven devices, I might be able to cut that down to four or five. So all of a sudden the wear and tear on my hardware goes down. It's so more, so much more economical as well as giving me that visibility. Again, you can't block what you can't see. Well, if they're using domain, gene, uh, domain name generation <laughs> algorithms, um, or if they're using lookalikes and things like that, that might fool other people. And they're, you know, you can register, you know, a thousand uh, domain names in a day, but they all go to the same IP address. It is really hard to register new IP addresses and keep swapping those. So the DNS level can't be fooled by those. So while they're ripping through domain, you know, names and just changing and swapping and and flipping, it doesn't matter. I'm going to see the request. I'm going to see that it is actually going to this actual location. And that's a bad place. We're not going to let you go. So it's, I just love so much about going a layer down, using that network data, which everybody already has. This is the bizarre thing to me. We did a survey with... uh, can't remember if it was Osterman or Forrester. We've worked with so many lately to, to understand why so many people are missing this. DNS has the visibility. Um, DHCP and IPAM give me more of my forensics and the stuff to, to investigate and respond. But just blocking at the DNS level, people aren't even doing that more than, you know, about, I think it was 40 some odd percent. The latest survey, survey I've seen. They use it for investigation but they aren't using it for blocking. And yet it's so valuable for both. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it does, uh, you know, cause you to kind of sit back and scratch your head a little bit because again, that data is available. It's on your network and it's just a matter of getting at it and, and being able to use it and, and make it more effective and help make you more effective as you're managing your network. Well, we're running a little bit of, uh, low on time, but I would like to get to the IoT and BYOD today. If we don't get to it all, we're going to flip it because we're already actually much farther down the agenda you and I talked about of the things we could cover. So I'm going to have you come back if you're available on September 7th, which is for our next episode, so we can continue and do a part two on this because there's a ton of, of just meat here for a security person. I want to make sure they get in. But uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the, the IoT and BYOD time because that was the first reason why I was wondering why so many companies weren't paying more attention to DNS security because your, your IoT devices and your BYOD devices, they just... Nobody has, you know, that kind of uh, the necessary visibility in a swig or in a firewall. Um, and a lot of them, they're popping these things in. I mean, they're put, they're installed by the maintenance team. IT doesn't even put them in sometimes. You know, you've got a, a, a facilities maintenance group and, oh, yeah, go ahead and put those in. And they start installing cameras or whatever. And IT doesn't pay enough attention. But if you've got things like IPAM and your discovery tool, those two things alone, IPAM and discovery those things immediately get identified on the network. Yeah, absolutely true. And, you know, we didn't really dive too much into some of the more, you know, uh, detailed discovery methodologies. And perhaps we can pick that up on, on a future um, chat as well. But, you know, uh, when we're talking about IoT, Bob, um, you know, we're seeing a lot more of this um, from a, a rising tide kind of raises all ships perspective. Um, it's it's sometimes it's biased by way of the the industry. You know, we we know that there are you know some leading industries out there that use IoT a lot, like manufacturing and transportation, um, utilities, healthcare. Perhaps some of us are even using you know connected cars. Um, and, and consumer electronics. And those are kind of big areas. Um, if we took an example of oil and gas though, energy, mm -hmm. oil and gas, um, I, and just as we have just a moment, but one of our um, major clients operates a large global network that connects on-prem and remote uh, valves, flow controls, programmatic logic controllers, they've got telemetry, they've got a host of other oil and gas and devices and machinery. And those things are all um, connected, uh, connecting to the network. They have to be 24 seven, 365 reliable. And you gotta have that visibility and redundancy and resiliency. If a system goes down recovery speed and, and continued uh, ability to connect is really important. And this was actually proven Bob, in a um, in a recent hurricane that knocked out a refinery and chemical plant, and the DNS and DHCP were actually locally unavailable due to communications failure. They were backhauling all of the data back to the data center. It was lengthy. It was costly delays. And to avoid those kinds of service interruptions, that was really important um, to be able to get back up and running as soon as possible. And, and not only that, um, you know, that is just a, just one example of, you know, how IoT connecting to the network, and we're seeing more and more of that, is so important. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, that was the kind of thing they were worried about when we had the colonial pipeline hack is that, you know, how much of that would actually get into the controls. Now we, we keep, we're referring to it as IOT. There's lots of OT and then there's mm-hmm. industry specific acronyms, uh, acronyms for it all. Uh, the bottom line is the majority of them, even a lot of them that are fairly proprietary, they all have some sort of a internet accessibility component and they will end up communicating over the internet. I mean, that's how you do the remote access. It may be very proprietary below the covers, but the internet access is there. And that's what we're going to be doing is we're we're here to help identify, monitor, and control that. That's the kind of solutions we're talking about here. Um, but we are out of time. We can't get into the BYOD stuff, um, but uh, this is really cool stuff. So definitely, are you available on uh, on the 7th to come back for us? I, I'd be glad to, to rejoin you uh, in early September. Yep. That'd be great. And we'll we'll definitely dig into the discovery piece. So like you said, we didn't really get into the, the meats of that. And I want to make sure that everybody understands what that can and what they can't do. You know, there's limitations. Every technology has this wonderful promise. It gets hyped for about a year and then people start seeing the reality. So we'll make sure we give a balanced uh, view of what discovery can and cannot do. Um, but thank you um, for uh, joining us today, Bob. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to chat with you again. All right. And thanks to all of our viewers and listeners for your time. Uh, would like to have you join us next time, hopefully, where we're going to try and help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk. Mm-hmm.